You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. The business of cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio. This is the business of cannabis. Welcome to the Business of Cannabis, the show that brings a laser focus to the issues, challenges, and opportunities related to the cannabis industry. Um, David Sky, um, and today I'll be speaking to three cannabis industry heavyweights, starting with Stephen Fry, who's the co-founder and owner of Sessions Cannabis, one of the fastest growing dispensaries in Canada. Next, we'll switch it up a bit and talk to Omar Figueroa, who's a lawyer practicing cannabis law in California. We'll be looking at how to get into the cannabis travel agents industry and uh, some of the legal pitfalls to avoid there. And finally, Krista Jones, uh, who runs the THC Girls. And the THC doesn't stand for what you think it does. Uh, the THC Girls is an important cannabis marketing agency. Uh, they work across the cannabis spectrum from growers uh, to retailers and to everyone in between. So. Lots uh, to talk about. Uh, let's get to it. Yeah, so welcome to the business of cannabis. We're pretty excited uh, for our first guest, Stephen Fry. Um, he's president and co-founder of Sessions Cannabis, which is a chain, uh, 33 uh, actively open, uh, 47, uh, well, another, you know, 14 in the pipe, uh, opened the first store in Hamilton, Ontario, which is in Canada. Uh, and he won the uh, lottery to open the first one. So it literally won the lottery considering where you are now. So it's an interesting story and we're excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, just build on that. Uh, it's been probably a wild ride. If, if a couple of years ago you win a lottery to open a store, how'd you get into the business? And then how did you get to where yeah, 33 open uh, dispensaries and well, 47 pretty soon? Correct. Correct. Yeah. I mean, uh, like back in 2019, when the lottery process was taking place, I, I threw my hat in the digital ring, right? Or my, my name in the digital ring. And I was one of the lucky recipients of that process. So uh, I've shared this story many times, but again, just sitting around the dining room table with my, my in-laws over, my wife and, and kids, and uh, I got the email saying, it's time to go. You, you've been selected. So it's just been a, it's been a wild ride ever since then, and certainly had to buckle up to, to manage this. And I, I'm, I'm quite fortunate. I'm one of the, I'm one of the few lottery winner, winners, if, if any, that actually made something of this. Most people kind of sold out to other companies, but I doubled down this space and uh, 
I'm so proud to have created Sessions and, and, and we've become uh, one of the largest cannabis companies across the province. So really, really happy about that result. What, well, let's, what made you double down? What made you go, no, I see, because there's a lot of challenges, especially in those early days. Um, take us through some of those challenges and then what made you think, no, I'm optimistic about the future. Yeah, well, there is no, there's no, shortage of challenges in the early days of industry first i mean you know it was the first role of the stores across the province obviously there's a lot of eyes on on the first stores that open up there's a lot of scrutiny there's a lot of political play uh, as as you will right so there's a lot of challenge on that front but <clears throat> some of the penalties that i was faced in terms of timeline restrictions i had from the government uh dealing with municipalities trying to find a location to open the first dispensaries a lot of landlords were, were so gun shy on that right and a lot of people didn't want to play so dealing with some of those early challenges getting open, uh, and then obviously the, just the volume of people came in. I mean, we were quite fortunate, I was quite fortunate that first store uh, was one of the number one stores across the entire country. So there's a lot of management of the day-to-day -day activities. I was grateful to have a good staff, but it means a lot of hours. I mean, I was, I was literally working 20 hours a day. Right. And anybody in my shoes, I'm sure would have done that because you know there's a lot at, a lot at play and a lot of opportunity at play too. But when I created sessions, I actually sold that first store back to the company I partnered with. And um, one of the reasons why I, said I found sessions, I realized that a lot of the companies coming into Ontario were all from out west and they had no presence in Ontario, very little staff, very little presence here. So I thought to myself, oh my goodness, what a great opportunity to develop a better mousetrap. So I took it upon myself. I took the lessons I learned from that first store and kind of went from good to great, developed a, you know, what I consider you know, a leading design. And, and I also built a team here in Ontario. And what's unique about us is I only built sessions to be focused on Ontario. We have not uh, journeyed it beyond Ontario borders. We haven't we haven't spread ourselves too thin by focusing on the provinces. And that's exactly why I created this company to begin with, because some of the other players from Alberta, who are, who arguably were ahead of us at the time, just didn't have the level of support that was needed in this province. So that that's really why I created sessions. Was I just thought there's amazing opportunity here to to do better than what I was seeing taking place in the province that, at that time. You've raised a lot there. Uh, one, so you're focused on a brand. Correct. So so let's let's talk about that first. And then I want to talk about design because I know design is a huge part of what you guys do. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not tip necessarily typical. It can be like there's some magnificent stores. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the norm. So let's first talk about that brand aspect of it. And why and and why is it that a consumer would resonate with that? Why is that so important to you? Yeah, I think what's really cool about us is, is we chose the name Sessions, right? And anybody that you know comes from legacy market or that is a cannabis consumer knows subtly Sessions about getting together to smoke weed. I mean that that's 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 a common thing, right? So we thought that was a nice approach in a more subtle way, and still trying to stay classy out there, right? A lot of people have called it Canada that or weed this, and we thought, you know what? We're taking a bit of a class here. We, we really want to help destigmatize this industry. So that's why we chose Name Sessions and we, we stand behind that. And we want people to resonate that. And we want people to start their session with us and enjoy their session with us. So we're here to curate you know, a really good selection and a really good experience so that folks that come in through our doors, you know, can go have their best session. That's what we stand for. And that's what our brand's about, right? It's having that. Has that, been a, a, has that been a challenge, the getting a diverse product offering quality of any of that has been a challenge? I would say early days uh, when the province first opened up, 
yes. I think a there was a there was a there was a, a stockpile of product that was aging. So the first introduction mm. of legal cannabis in this product was probably a bit more dry than it needed to be. And then B, the amount of product in the early days was limited. There's only so many SKUs that we could offer. Uh, and we didn't have other variety of product. We didn't have things like edibles or vape cartridges or rosins, whatever you want, right? So we didn't have other forms of consumption that, you know, more of the diehard consumers are looking for that we wanted to service. But if you fast forward to today, David, I mean, it's, it's come so far. I mean, the, the amount of offering in the province today, we're talking thousands of products available now, right? It's come so far and, and all different consumption methods, right? Edibles, we've got bath bomb now. You know, I know there's some health and wellness products coming up, like, you know, lotions and things of that nature that are that are going to be disrupting um, the CBD space. So this, it's come a long way. So definitely there's a wide variety of products available these days. So let's, well, follow up on that. Is it overwhelming at times? Is it too much? How, what do you guys do to keep track of all the newest developments? It's a great question. Um one thing that I've done as, as an organizational structure perspective, we set ourselves apart by having a dedicated buying team. So my organization has central buying and those folks, right? I have several people on that team and those, those folks jobs is to make sure that we're getting the right selection for our customers and really curate that program. So they spend the time with the different licensed producers. They go and tour these facilities to make sure that they're getting the right product. Um, we really care about our selection in our store we see that as a really strong differentiator for us. Our average store carries about 500 products on the floor. If you compare that to a regular dispensary style format, uh, they only carry 100, 150, 200 at most, right? So we spend a lot of time on product. Product's extremely important to us because we know that you know different consumers need different product classes, right? So now I know design's also really important, which is what struck me when I kind of was doing some research for this. Um, how did you arrive at that design? Because I know that's not cheap and it's not easy. And you obviously made a decision. I'm going to spend the time and energy on this. And money, no doubt. I mean, <laughs> we, we deliver. It always boils things. down to money. <laughs> yeah, well, no, all, all the above to your point. I think all the above. I think what's really important is that we recognize that most stores were functioning like a typical dispensary. You walk up to a counter, you look at a screen or you go on an iPad and somebody picks it from the back. You know, for me, that's a lackluster consumer experience. You know, so we designed our store around having an engaging experience with our customer. And we're very much what we call product forward. Again, you'll notice this, this word product for me because we're about selection, right? So we can engage with the consumers on the floor. They can see the products on display. They can see the characteristics of the product, what the THC potency is, what the, the package data is, and other characteristics where if you're buying from a typical dispensary or buying it online, you just don't know that information, right? You're kind of, you're kind of playing craps a bit. Um, so we designed our store to be much more engaging with the consumer and just having a rich consumer experience versus, again, just walking up to a counter. We can just accomplish so much more that way, right? Take me through, because just to change sort of streams, because I want to make, because it's such an interesting business model you've put together. So there's lots to talk about. So I want to make sure I cover it all. You guys are, you have a franchise model. Correct. Makes you a little different. Let's talk about that. One, why did you go that route? And then two, take me through a bit of the process of, because you've added a layer of complexity on some level to your model. Yes, no doubt. 
there's there's several reasons why we chose doing a franchise route. I think the first thing is early days in this industry, there's a lot of limitations about how many stores you could open. And it still it still resides today. Today the cap is 75, which is actually quite quite grand at the province to allow that. Well, you're getting there. <laughs> but in a franchise model, that that restriction doesn't apply. And back in the day, you're only allowed a few stores, if that. So they're they're tapping out at 10. So we were able to grow beyond the limitations of what was set in place by having other partners join us in that journey. The second thing is we know, we know, we still know today that we're really great at opening stores and really great at providing a great customer experience. So we developed that kind of toolkit and that understanding, and we recognize there's some real good value in that. And then the third thing I'd say is we recognize that branding is going to play a really important role in this industry. I often compare, you know, a company like Sessions to a Tim Hortons like model, right? If you're going to open a coffee chain today, you may go independent, but all likelihood is you, you strive to be part of a brand. And we, I see, and the, and the company sees, the future is going to be about branding in the space. You're going to see a lot of mergers and acquisitions and consolidation in the space. Uh, and we want to play into being the brand and having a recognized consumer experience across the province. That's interesting. I mean, if you were going to open up a, a restaurant or any sort of fast food chain, you'd have fast food play. You'd have to think, do I want to do my own? But most likely you're going to buy a franchise, like almost Correct. overwhelmingly. Correct. And, and it's in, it'll be interesting to see that, that this is already, this choice is there. You don't have to do it all yourself and go through all the pain you went through. It's a tough process. It could be plug and play. A follow-up question uh, for our listeners who might not know this. There's, there's government funding. You can get small business loans for small business if you're opening up a restaurant or a franchise. Is that kind of thing available for cannabis dispensaries? My, the short answer is My guess is no. <laughs> far and few in between. Like, for example, I was able to get a local a local grant from one of our stores about signage and sprucing up the building as an example. But generally speaking, the answer is no. In fact, one of the biggest challenges space is even banking. Even today, you know, it, it's been legalized for just shy of three years now, and we're still having we're still having banking issues. So most of the big players won't even touch you because you're dealing with cannabis, largely because it's still federally legal in the U.S. and they've got counterparts in the U.S. So banking is actually one of the unique challenges in the space that that is you know been really painful for us uh, so far. So yeah, the short answer is loans. And trying to get financing in this space is very difficult, very, very difficult. Right. So um, if I was a franchisee and I called you up and said, I'm, I'm really interested in this space, um, tell me, you know, what would be your, what would be your advice? What would be the, here's what you think about, here's what you need to know and franchise, here's why I should do it or yes. here's why you should do it alone. I, I think the first thing we, we tell people is you have to understand this is a business. It's like running any other retail business in the day. Okay. Industry continues to evolve. So you're running a business. You have to be business proficient in order to run a good store. Now you have to you know, care about your staff. You have to look at marketing. You have to know what you're doing in this regulated space. And it is highly regulated, right? I think where we add a lot of value is one on branding experience. Right. We hold our partner's hands to this entire process in terms of getting this door open, getting instructed. Um, you know, helping them go through all the regulatory processes, which can be quite challenging. You know, as an example, you know, you might post a public placard on the window, which is a requirement in this game, and you might get three, four, five hundred complaints about your store. Good luck right. trying to navigate that on your own. You're getting a lot of irate people around the community saying, no, 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 you're not allowed to open here. So there's a lot of challenge in the space that we can help people overcome. But I think most importantly is just experience and, and, and timing to market. 
because we're so good at opening stores and doing this and develop such a good proven process, we can get stores open a lot faster than the average Joe because we've got it now to a toolkit, right? We've got it down to a system. Uh, and then there's obviously lots of benefits of joining a franchise system because we've got lots of support and other parties to rely on and we can spread those best practices across the entire company, right? So, um, but that's in a nutshell. And, and we have a lot of interest. We still get between 15 and 20 inbound franchise inquiries per week. That's so amazing. People want to grow with wow. us. And that's that's with very little marketing, by the way. Like so we're 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 right. being recognized as one of the leaders in this province. And I and I want to keep it that way. And and um maybe one day would you contemplate leaving the province and spreading across the country? Yeah, I mean, we we've explored places like the US or, or other provinces, to, but be frank with you, strategically within my strategic plan, I don't see it in the cards in the next year. I, okay. I really want to get it right here in Ontario. And I don't, I, I owe a service to my partners and myself to make sure that we focus and make sure we have the best business model possible before we go and, you know, go try to explore other 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 countries or other provinces that'd be quite difficult. With that said, one of the visions though is to become an international brand, but I'm just, I'm, I'm timing it appropriately and not being distracted like most other companies in this space. Right? Yes, there's, there's a bit of, it, there's the combination of the Wild West there's a bit of combination. I see it's it's a really difficult space, and then there's the in between, which is which sounds like where you are. We see great we're, opportunity, we're, but maybe a bit of like we're you know. focused. I I say we're okay. focused, and 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 again, the reason why I create sessions from the get go is I recognize some of the downfalls of spreading yourself thin. Gotcha. And don't get me wrong, we had a lot of growing pains. I mean, we we went from you know four stores in, in late 2020 to to 33 today. I've crazy. literally opened 29 stores amazing. in the last seven months, right? So there's there's pains that come along with that. Uh, but, but imagine I try to do that all across the country or other yeah. countries. Like, good luck to you, right? I, I don't know how you have time to talk to me, <laughs> but, I'm glad, <laughs> but I'm glad you did. I don't and, yeah. Oh, there you go. Smart. Uh, thank okay. you very much. I really appreciate it. It's such an interesting story. And we're going to call you back and check up on how you're doing regularly. Because oh, it's, so uh, awesome. it's a great success story. And it's, uh, and it's an interesting model that I think a lot of people should think through if they uh, determining how they want to get into this. Yeah. Well, Ditto, thank, thank you for the time, David. Great. And, 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 and feel free to reach out anytime. It's been fun doing this. With you. Thank you very much. This is right. uh, Stephen Fry of Sessions Cannabis, um, one of the largest uh, and fastest growing chains in Canada. Thank you. Cannabis is brought to you by CashTech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, CashTech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call CashTech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. So welcome back to the business of cannabis. I'm uh, have on the line Omar Figueroa. Uh, Omar is uh, tw has 20 years experience in the cannabis industry, but you wouldn't have guessed it from his education. Uh, a BA in philosophy from Yale, a law degree from Stanford. Um, he has written too many legal books to to list. He's spoken at too many events. A director of too many organizations to list as well, but I'll name a few. Uh, 
the direct because they relate to cannabis, a director of National Cannabis Industry Association, director of the Cannabis Travel Association International, which you don't know, maybe, is Omar Practices Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which I found out from his website. <laughs> Omar, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. So let's start with, uh, I don't know, maybe the obvious uh, question. How did you go from Yale and Stanford to get into this area of cannabis law? Well, it's because I, I was a cannabis enthusiast while at Yale and Stanford Law School. Okay. And, and you still uh, got through. <laughs> absolutely. I knew many <laughs> cannabis users. I mean, that, you know, if people can make it uh, through college using copious amounts of alcohol, as many of my classmates did at and Stanford, then cannabis is less deleterious and, you know, you can have like superior outcomes to those people. Uh, so for me, cannabis was like a stress reliever during the law school process. And I was uh, happy to say that I was able to get high every day of law school. And, um, you know, it, I had a better experience because of it. Many times people would kill themselves in law school. I remember many of my classmates like entered all like hail hearty and fit, jolly. And then three years later, they're all wearing glasses. They're no longer like <laughs> right. party. They put on right. like 30 or 40 pounds. They look like, you know, pudgy accountants. And no. then they're just burnt out. And by the time right. they're ready to start the practice. And they haven't even worked. worked. And so for me, instead, I realized there was a marathon, not a race. And so I really took it easy in law school and kind of coasted through. And I was lucky to attend Stanford Law School, which is a pretty good law school in you know, afforded me that liberty of, of not having to kill myself over grades and still be, know, having doors open for me. But when I graduated from law school, um, I didn't have a job. I was looking for a job. And my friend, Tony Sarah, who's a prominent radical attorney in San Francisco, and he's represented many uh, pro bono defendants, was defending a Native American uh, defendant accused of a death penalty offense. And the guy was Bear Lincoln. And it was, um, you know, my first case out of law school was working pro bono for Tony Sarah. Wow. So is that the connection then you got into sort of defending people who with possession charges and things like that? Well, Tony Sarah was like a big enthusiast of cannabis. So he did cannabis cases for fun. And then because he loved being in trial, he did like hardcore like murder cases, you know, I see cases, um, yeah. more as like his vocation, but that case he was doing for free. And so I was straight out of law school. I was the idealistic, you know, I, I didn't believe that the pursuit of wealth was like the highest calling for humans. Cause I had read too much philosophy and, you know, that was, you got corrupted in Yale with the philosophy degree. <laughs> like, you know, the, the, the uh, platonic and Socratic ideals of like, right. Truth is the highest profession, and then fame, and then mere wealth, you know. And at Yale, I met all these, like, rich children, you know, of the ultra-wealthy, and they were so unhappy. And, you know, to me, it was, like, so clear that being rich was not the solution for your, your human destiny. Because, like, I met all these, like, unhappy rich kids who had been, you know, through these pressure cooker environments, finally, like, made it out of prep school into Yale, and then their parents still had all these expectations and they're still in the pressure cooker. And when you're rich, you're never rich enough. And, you know, crazy. Right. 
And so it was good for me to experience all that. You know, I wouldn't have if I hadn't attended Yale, but after going to Yale and seeing like, you know, what the children of the super wealthy who themselves are, are wealthy and how happy they are, I realized like that was not a path to happiness. But it sounds interesting. You know, you went through some of these um, elite, tra- traditional, traditional elite institutions, but then had a different experience. I don't know if cannabis played a role in that, but maybe a little bit. So, and then you, and you came out the other side, but I want to jump to, to, to then, you know, so you've done, you've come through these schools, you want to do something different, you get into, you're exposed uh, to the world of cannabis, cannabis law. Um, So after I helped Tony with that case, Tony's like, come work with me in San Francisco. And Tony had like a collective of lawyers, you know, purified law offices, and they're like hippie lawyers doing uh, criminal defense in San Francisco. And some lawyers specialized in like murders. Others took every drug case they could. Others, you know, um, just like the, you know, robberies and like the, the immigration cases. And so when I went there, I quickly developed an affinity for cannabis defendants. I like the cannabis people, especially the cannabis growers. And there was a, uh, tradition back in the day that, you know, cultivators saved the very best cannabis for themselves and for their lawyers, you know, and that's very- <laughs> Well, keep your lawyer happy. Always a good idea. Oh, exactly. It, it, it was called the head stash. And so like, I just started working for the head stash, you know, I like, I just became the best defense lawyer I could so I could meet the best growers so I could get the best head stash. And I did, I got like incredible, incredible cannabis as part of my efforts, you know, um, your retainer. Um, no, that I would, I'm just joking. <laughs> well, sometimes clients would try to get pay me with cannabis. Right. It's like, okay, let's stick like, to, no, yeah. <laughs> gifts. And then the gifts would be an insult to turn them away, you know, and that's when I would be like stoked, but that would always happen spontaneously. I did not solicit them. Clients would just kind of like, it was part of the appear, appear magically. Yeah. Like, so, so take me, yeah. So take me through, I know you then, then, and then, cause I know you want to talk about the travel industry, what you're into now and cannabis travel and oh, so exciting. some of the legal aspects of that. I, it sounds like we could talk about the early days. We're going to have, but I want to give you a chance to talk about that so people can hear about it. Cause it's a super cool, interesting, evolving market cannabis is. And this is probably one of the more interesting aspects of it. So take us quickly through, you know, what do you mean by cannabis travel? Mm-hmm. And then, and then we can kind of talk about, okay, what are some of the legal aspects of it? What do people need to know about it if they want to be part of it? Not, not from a consumer perspective, but more from the business perspective. Yeah. So cannabis travel basically talks about, um, you know, leisure travelers, many of whom are open to using cannabis on vacation. And the Cannabis Travel uh, Association International commissioned a poll, which found like, you know, a really high number of travelers, like a third of, of travelers on vacation are looking for a cannabis experience. And it makes sense. You know, people are, just want to explore, they're traveling, you know, they, they're on vacation. And relax. So there's a tremendous unmet um, need for cannabis travel experiences. And ultimately, what those are going to evolve to is not where cannabis is the main event, but where cannabis is like the adjunct. And there's got to be other activities that are like the main event. For example, like cannabis yoga festivals. And I've already attended like 
ganja yoga retreat that involved like multiple yoga sessions per day where you were practicing ganja yoga. So you really were, you know, getting super high before starting to do yoga. And then, you know, you're allowed to freely consume cannabis during the yoga uh, session on the mat. And then there's also a DJ, like playing live DJ, like during the yoga session. Like for me, I've never done that before. You know, like I would usually spend my mornings doing jujitsu instead of yoga that way. But it was extremely hardcore. Like it wasn't easy. Wow. But by the time you're done, then you're ready to have another ganja session. And it was like amazing. You know, like you really would get like the endorphin uh, release after the, such a you know strenuous yoga workout. And uh, the people leading it have been doing ganja yoga for years and really know how to like coach people through the process. And so, you know, events like a ganja retreat other like a wellness retreat that involves like cannabis microdosing, you know, where people go for like three or four days. And rather than like, you know, because many cannabis consumers are afraid of what is called euphoria, you know, it's that kind of like feeling of, you know, release that many say is high, but for many it's a scary, scary. They don't want to be that high or that out of control or right. And so I've, I've um, heard like, you know, um, cannabis travel consultants talking about like low dosage events, you know, which are kind of for like cannabis newbies so that over a weekend they can try cannabis products of different types of, and low potencies and then try to like, you know, hone in on something that works for them and something that has like happy effects for them. And then they can consult with like, you know, experienced uh, purveyors who can try to like help them find something that is helpful. What? Um, so here's a concern like would jump to me. I've been to events where I'm like, geez, you've, you're, you're, you're inexperienced and now you're having too much. It's like drinking too much. Mm-hmm. You're going to be sick or you're going to be very uncomfortable. Yes. Um, so in one of these events, if I, I want to run one, what are the legal issues I got to worry about? Do I have to worry about someone getting sick or taking too much or, or hurting themselves or what, what is there insurance I need? How does that work? Yes. There's event insurance and there's, you know, the standard legal liabilities that anybody who's uh, serves controlled substances or alcohol has to deal with, you know, in, the U.S., we have like the common law and dram shop liability, like basically the server is liable um, unless, you know, there's dram shop laws, which we don't yet have for cannabis, which kind of like give you like a safe harbor. Like in, for alcohol, like if you check that the person is not intoxicated and that they're the age of, um, you know, legal use, then um, you have a limited immunity. As long as you're not serving intoxicated, as long as you don't, you know they're not, right? That's right, right. So, but we don't yet have that for cannabis, and so that that could be a factor. Luckily, with cannabis events um, under California law, no alcohol and no tobacco is allowed, and those are like preventive measures. They put like really strong guardrails that don't really allow for what we call cross fading, where people use alcohol and cannabis at the same time. And it has like an increased effect. It's synergistic. It's not just cumulative. And so it's a way to avoid crossfading by just keeping these cannabis events. You know, cannabis and caffeine are pretty much the only substances. Right. Um, thank God for the caffeine, particularly. <laughs> uh, right. Yeah. Um, was, uh, 
question is is it expensive this insurance just not to is it really like absorb you know like really no, it's available in exorbitant or, and i think it's just it's not a big deal okay it's not a big deal because you okay. know like it, it turns out like um that we're seeing like more prevalent cannabis insurance to like serve the rest of the cannabis supply chains that, so that event organizers are also able to get insurance now. You know, the California Department of Insurance is like stimulating uh, insurance companies to start providing cannabis insurance and, you know, allowing them to come up with all sorts of like terms that they want um, because they want the cannabis industry to be served. So of course there's always a green premium where like, you know, insurance companies will charge more just because it's cannabis. That's because they can. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, um, do you find this, uh, this travel, like where would you put it in terms of early days, quite developed, uh, Oh, early (laughs) days. Okay. Very early days. Very early. So opportunity. Huge There's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, I mean, like some um, entrepreneurs have like remodeled hotels in the Emerald Triangle and turned it into like you know these cannabis destination resorts. And I think events like that are going to be like pretty, um, or you know, destinations like that are going to be like very appealing to like people from all over the world. You know, I've um, spoken to tour operators who were surprised at their demographics. Many of the people who want to come check out the cannabis scene in California are not like this, you know, stoner enthusiast that right. would Yeah, 22-year-old, yeah, some kid. Yeah, right. many of them are people from other parts of the world who want to see how it's done in California because they have their own entrepreneurial visions of doing the same thing in their home country. And it's all in all the continents of the world, people are traveling to California for that purpose. Even places like India and South America, you know, everybody wants to open a, a California-style dispensary and they want to see how it's done. They want to look at the um, manufacturing plants, the cultivation sites, you know, meet the growers. Um, so there's so many opportunities. You know, in California, we have cannabis appellations. And so there's a legal regime for recognizing um, cannabis that's grown within particular territorial boundaries. And California has a terroir-based appellation system so that in order to establish a new appellation of origin, the petitioner has to establish that there's a causal link between the specific geographical features of the um, appellation boundary and the products such that these products are expressions of place. Oh, I see, like uh, Bordeaux wine or, or champagne or whatever. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, neat. So this system is actually, um, you know, meant to be compatible with the international terroir-based appellations of origin. It was done quite con- consciously. But, and, uh, is, and is there like an arduous... Um, process is it unregulated is it in between they're not yet accepting petitions but okay it is going to be pretty arduous because you have to establish a causal link between the specific geographic features and then the well it should be arduous like if you're claiming this is such and such and you should buy it for that reason yes it's like yeah but i can get the same stuff down the street there there better be a but if there is it'd be soup there and and you're saying there is that this exists like, yes. Yeah. Okay. Like 
California law and California regulation. That'd be super cool. As opposed to like a greenhouse, a greenhouse is a greenhouse is a greenhouse. But, but if it's grown in different parts of the world, that'd be awesome to get it exposed. And so California, you know, looking ahead, I think it was some uh, growers in the Emerald Triangle who like had a cannabis field, you know, revelation, which was like, why don't we do cannabis appellations, you know, and Humboldt and Mendocino counties. And this, my, my understanding is this arose in like Humboldt and Mendocino counties. They were looking South to Sonoma and Napa counties and like what they were able to do with their appellations, you know, like everything from the value of real estate to the value of uh, wine grapes grown within Napa and Sonoma County is vastly higher just because it's recognized appellations and recognized regions. And so um, they're trying to do that like value add by, you know, creating recognized appellations and establishing a rigorous process for appellations, um, which is pretty exciting. You know, for me as a lawyer, that's way more exciting to help the craft growers um, make a future for themselves by establishing like um, high quality products, you know, ultra premium products is what I'm most interested in because as a cannabis enthusiast, you know, I want to help those who are creating the highest quality products, not those who are trying to mass produce booth. Um, and so I've been lucky that I can choose my clients and our law firm, like, you know, grows like our, our law firm helps the um, craft cultivators grow their businesses. Well, I'm here, you know, when I'm hearing a whole nother show, just, just to talk about that, super interesting, but Unfortunately, we've run out of time. Okay. Um, uh, I have about 40 more questions, but we're going to have you back. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I just want to thank again to Omar Figueroa, who can't, one of the leading uh, cannabis lawyers in California, um, but also uh, talking a lot about this interesting idea of cannabis travel and appellations and, and events, which I know most, most of us have sort of experienced on a little bit. But um, it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over the next decade as, as we adjust to the changing environment. Um, so thanks again. Thank you very much. Uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com. Welcome back. Um, our next guest, we're really excited. I'm going to welcome Krista Jones from the THC Girls. Uh, this is an interesting background, so we're really excited to talk to her. Um, name of the country is actually not a pun. It's uh, the High Country Girls. Uh, Krista uh, hails from Colorado, has been involved in everything in cannabis, dispensary, marketing, consulting, repping products, was director of a huge greenhouse in Oregon, company formally started in 2014, but it's become a, a real focus in 2019. 
now in Miami, heading up an agency providing consulting services to the cannabis industry across uh, North America, including uh, providing brand ambassadors and reps at events. So in short, Krista's done it all. And so we can't have a, a, a better guest. So welcome. Thank you, David. I really appreciate you guys having me. Well, my pleasure. So let's start there. Let's tell us, you know, a lot of people listening, how can I get involved in this industry? Give us a little background on how you got involved in it and then how the country girl, the, the THC girl sort of. Yeah, definitely. Um, so basically uh, myself, as I was, you know, I was uh, working at Home Depot at the time and uh, oh, really? a friend of mine. <laughs> that yeah, <sounds> fun. <laughs> yeah it, was, it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, lumber. They they okay. put me in lumber with uh, oh, the okay. heaviest stuff in the facility. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I met this really cool guy. Uh, his name was actually Dave. <laughs> and, I like uh, I like him already. Yeah, yeah, he was super dope. He um he started working in an indoor garden and uh, reached out to me and let me know. You know, he always saw me hustling and working really hard, so he invited me to to participate and in trims and harvest and those kind of activities in the very, very early stages of the industry as it was really, you know, just starting off to be commercial. Really at this point it was like caregiver ships and everybody kind of had, it was still taboo to even get your medical card. And if you did get your medical card, you could grow. And it was like, sure. you still didn't talk about it, you know? Mm -hmm. so that was where I started at. Um, but yeah, I worked my way all over the, the cultivation side, um, really just, uh, grinding and hustling as I, as I, you know, listen to the, the tasks, um, being able to just get positions for the next task and the next one and building my way up in this space to soon enough managing and um, overseeing teams and really project management and getting and executing the, the task at hand and um, working all over different facilities. I, uh, I really didn't stick to one cultivation or one business. Um, it was really exciting and new industry and it was so, everything was changing very rapidly. And so there's a lot of turnover. There's a lot of work this week and not any for a long right. time and, and stuff like that. So I, I uh, hopped around from the projects to project to project and landed a home at um, a dispensary called Legal Legal Dispensary um, in, in Denver. So I worked there as I was continuing to, to build my momentum in the space. Um, that really became one of my homes in the industry. Uh, we got certified clean, green, sustainable, organic practices, really, really great company, um, very small family owned, one of the last few in the actual space in Denver. So um, they're great, to, great people to work with. And as I was doing that, um, you know, I was, I was, I'm, you know, just early 20s and, and in the mix as well and really uh, took advantage of the fact that, you know, I was in cannabis and I was working in all these cultivations. I was always repping the brands. I always had product. I always had swag, you know, and going out and networking with my community and really just going out and socializing then. It wasn't really necessarily mm. called networking. Like work, you know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was work, you know, I just didn't realize it at the time. And uh, right. as that evolved, I got more strategic with what I was doing. So I'm, I'm interested because I know in your background, you've, you've been in hemp, you've been, a cons you've been in, the, in the rec side and you've been in the all, well, all sides. From a marketing perspective, with your marketing hat on, how do you approach those two areas? And how so, do you stop the confusion and how do you stop the sort of the stereotypes, I guess? I got you. I got you. Um, as far as hemp, you know, really, I see with the industry and hemp really going industrial. 
Um, right now, there's a lot of hype, but CBD and hemp have been around forever. You know, mm. if you think about it, like the hemp's lotion, hemp's, everyone had hemp's lotion a long time ago, 20 something years ago, you know. Um, but as the industry continues to evolve, I really see hemp going towards industrial um, and really the CBD, CBD itself um, not being as strong uh, as the THC industry. You know, everyone wants at the end of the day, the, the THC product, there's a lot of health benefits to actually utilizing both aspects in full spectrum and not just any one component of the actual cannabinoid system. So um, there's a lot of benefits and the education just isn't there yet. Um, but yeah, as far as marketing, the, the one of the biggest things I see with the hemp industry is, you know, you have to produce this product for a very competitive rate when, you know, the prices and the ROI are very, you know, you have a lot more give with THC because almost kind of the similar input costs, depending on what you do and where you actually are in the markets. But, you know, the result and the return on your investment is extremely different. You know, people are getting very minimal for hemp uh, pounds and a and lot more for cannabis across the board. Wow. So uh, some difficult, like niche decisions. What business am I in? What advantages do I have? And then there's going to be a host. Of, so let's talk about the THC side then. Mm -hmm. What brands are you getting excited about? What trends are you seeing that you're going, wow, I, this is, these people have it right. Or, or wow, if they would just call me and listen to me, I could tell them what to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it's really tough because a lot of people, you know, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of people are losing money and a lot of people are giving it everything they got. So it's very hard, um, to express to those people, they're very concerned of losing it all, or someone has already taken advantage of them and they're exhausted and they don't really have anything else to give, you know? And then you got the big money coming into to the space where they don't really wanna care and listen to, to the quality and the, the actual industry and the community that really makes the cannabis space. Um, they're just coming in and throwing money at it and throwing money at it until eventually we'll get it, you know? so very you know it's it's interesting in the thc world um because so many people are just so excited into it and and it's just it gets crazy what well let's jump on that what of the smaller the the people who don't have you know millions and millions and millions of dollars to to get it right eventually and i know what i'm hearing implicitly is they're not getting it right now but let's leave that for <laughs> now what what are the some of the smaller players you've you know about who are doing who are doing well and what are they doing that's making that success possible? Because there is you. us there's I I talk to a lot like there are a lot of dispensaries doing great and they might have one three five seven locations ten but they're not the hundreds and they're mm -hmm. and they're really doing great and they're expanding so what are they doing again um, from that marketing perspective. Yeah, I, I got you. I, uh, from the number one thing you could be doing in that situation is being vertically integrated. Anybody that's vertically integrated are being successful in the space. Um, any, any last moms and pops shops in Denver are definitely vertically integrated. And that means that they're producing their own product. If they can, uh, have a processing facility, great. If not, that's fine. But at least having the cultivation and a dispensary storefront and not having a middleman 
always, you know, the having the middleman and having all those additional fees, it really makes it hard to compete when the, the market goes competitive and it drops to, to very low, 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 low numbers in the space. You can't really compete. Yeah. Um, so let's, uh, let's switch tracks a little bit, talk a bit about the THC girls. Um, tell us a bit about specifically what you guys do. Um, and then, and then I know you guys do a lot of events and, and let's talk about that. Cause that's a whole side of thing. I think <laughs> what I've, what we're learning on this show is a lot of people just want to open their store and just sit there and, you know, and have people come in and make money, but it's, it's the, maybe the wrong industry for that. So let's start right. about what you guys do. And then we let's launch into the, into some of the things, options people should be talking, thinking about. For sure. Um, with the THC Girls, there's really two sides of what we do with the THC Girls. Uh, one side is really the consulting side where we come in and really help cannabis brands enter in the market or scale in the market and position themselves within the space. And that's the consulting side that I work with, uh, Sanja Ganja, and I have uh, other people on our team that we really execute on the consulting side together. And we have years and years in the, in the space in the commercial space in multiple markets, um, very many <laughs> um, experiences with a lot of startups in the space that are huge successful companies now. Uh, we come in and we can handle operations. We come in and manage um, the whole entire marketing. We also come in and just really consult and really be the best guidance, keeping companies accountable and, and so on. Um, the other part of the THC girls is the staffing side. And right now, you know, for the past seven years, when I started the THC girls, I really have middlemaned the, the services and staffed our own events and utilize all the things that and resources that we've continued to build and the dots that we've connected uh, into our formulas for events. So when we have events, we really want to make people welcome and have fun, but educated and really progressive at the same time, because our industry is still taboo. And we, we got to set the standards. We can't, you know, we, we really got to elevate ourselves, to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to make sure that the industry gets the respect it deserves. So, so let, I, I heard two things uh, that tend to be opposites, educate and fun. So <laughs> take me through like an event. So you're now giving me advice. I want to throw an event. I want to be part of something. What do I do other than putting, you know, bums and seats and lecturing them on, on benefits and a slideshow? Yeah, <laughs> and a no, PowerPoint sure. presentation, or what, you know, <laughs> which is where I'm going to go. <laughs> right, right. Which is all fun and, and very educational. Uh, but, yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, we you know, said fun. I don't know that's fun. Right, right. Well, it's fun to some, but what we like yeah. to do is have activations and setups where, you know, you experience what the company has to offer and you get a feel for the, the team. And, you know, we want to feel make people feel welcome and enjoy the brand and get to know the leaders of the brand and who's involved in the company, because at the end of the day, we're really supporting those in the background of the company and the brand is usually the face of it, you know, so um, we really want to connect those to the consumers and the brands to the market together. So that's how we usually do it, utilizing the THC girls. We'll have them set up at a booth or um, doing pop-ups at, you know, uh, in, instead of just 
weed events, um, you know, in regular uh, markets as well. You know, we want to set up at coffee shops and we want to set up, we want to get into the regular space as well and educate those people on our community and that it's not taboo and scary to get your medical card and you're not going to go to jail tomorrow. And, (laughs) you know, someone's not going to show up at your house and, you know, come question you about your life and uh, educating people on that. And, and it's fun to know that you have the right to do those kind of things and you can be utilizing this as medicine and you can, you know, defend yourself in the situation where you just have a little bit of cannabis on you, you know? Great. Last question. So much to talk about, unfortunately. Last, <laughs> you know, it always happens. Um, the name THC Girls, how does uh, female representation play out in your company and how do you see that in the industry? Because it's a big part it's a big story i think definitely certainly um, part of your story yeah yeah for sure i uh so in the very beginning um i was you know i was in the cannabis space and i was really trying to i was starting an actual tour company in the very beginning oh really <laughs> oh, no and uh okay. yeah i was in all the cultivations and i'm like okay denver just went wreck you know i want to show people what i do everybody that talks to me and finds out what i do right, like wants oh to my see god it. I'm like an alien, you know, so so I was like, well, we'll just show people, you know, and um, as recreation came about, Denver started utilizing that as a marketing tool. People would really let people in the cultivation or see it, you know, it made it really hard to compete with us as a little small person in the space. Um, I didn't see it really as the best uh, battle for me being that these million dollar companies are just letting people in for free to tour their facilities. But I did notice that I had a really big act for promotions and parties and events and really getting the cannabis community mixed with my regular community and showing them the access that they had and what we could potentially do. So that's really where I went with, um, with that. Yeah, the social justice piece is such a big part of it. And so it's great to be able to bring your story and people, I know people are hungry for it, but it just can't, it's not necessarily accessible. So mm-hmm, right. hopefully, you know, this is the kind of thing where people go, wow, that's pretty cool. Give the THC yeah. girls a call and, 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 and get some advice and, and counsel because it's overwhelming. You can't do it yourself. Um, even the company, and that's the, I think such an interesting thing you said, which is even the companies with huge money aren't getting it right. So yeah. Uh, you need expertise. Anyway, I'm, unfortunately, we've run out of time. Um, we're going to have you back because I have about a thousand more questions uh, to ask. Uh, thank you very much for um, sharing with us and uh, best of luck. And then um, we're going to reconnect and I'm sure people, and, and you're going to tell us how the THC girls are doing. Perfect. That, you take care. That sounds good. we got a lot <laughs> in the works, so looking good. forward to it. Okay, bye-bye. The Business of Cannabis is brought to you by Cash Tech Currency Products, North America's leading cash management provider for cannabis retailers. Cash recyclers, smart safes, software and services, Cash Tech has everything the cannabis retailer needs to track, manage, and secure the cash earned in the dispensary. Don't take chances with your cash. Call Cash Tech and solve the problem. Visit www.cashtechcurrency.com to learn more. Well, that's our show for today. I'd like to thank our guests for coming on and sharing their insights and 
invite you to tune in next week when once again we'll be talking to the movers and shakers in the world of cannabis, uh, keeping you up to date with what's happening in one of the most dynamic retail industries in North America. So until next week, be well. And this has been The Business of Cannabis. You're listening to Hayes Radio Network, Cannabis Lifestyle Radio.